we acknowledge the original owners of the land on which we podcast, whose stories were told for thousands of years. Today, we are recording in Mianjin. We pay our respects to elders past and present who may be listening. Sovereignty was never ceded. A quick note before we get started that there may be some swearing in today's podcast. If you don't like swearing or usually listen with children in the car, you have been warned. You're listening to What in the NDIS Now, a podcast where I, Hannah Redford, and my friend Sam Rosenbaum interview participants and providers about all things NDIS. Hey, Sam. How are you going? Yeah, going well, Hannah. Yourself? Yup. My kids have been really excited to see your dog. I know. He was very happy to get it when we were like driving around up to the driveway. He was jumped straight out of the car, up the driveway, and in the front door. Yes, yes, and straight through the house to the back door. And I was like, what? He knows already where he's going. It was very funny. I was very happy to hear when I go, we're going to Hannah's? (laughs) His ears pricked up and was ready to go. Oh, wow, that's so cool. Um, So, Sam, today we're doing a news update. Yep, there's uh, been quite a uh, buzzing around the agency. We've got a very short amount of time before the... NDIS uh, review comes out, gets published. There's been a lot going in and around that with a couple of the final submissions. Uh, been, our final submissions have already been completed now. So, yeah, it will be interesting to see what comes out of that. Yeah. Are you getting nervous? No, I'm not. I, I, <laughs> I'm just ho- hoping that it's not 300 pages long. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but there's uh, lots to keep, keep us busy reading at the moment. Yeah. Um, we've got a bit of a list today, so but starting with the agency has uh, released its first uh, its quarterly report for uh, April through to June from last yes. financial. Um, and the quarterly reports are always interesting, and we do love flicking through it. <laughs> There's some good highlights there. The big yeah. one, big one is we're now at six hundred and ten thousand participants on the scheme, which is awesome. Yeah. I hope that we keep. On adding people because there's definitely people out there with disabilities who are not on the NDIS yet. This is true, but we're getting there. We're at um, a 14% increase uh, this year. So, well, currently sitting at this this, last financial year, I should say. So we're sort of staggering there. They are, we are seeing a further increase in both participants and parents um, and carers in paid jobs. Yes, that's exciting. It's um, always it's a beneficial for the whole economy as a whole, as well as those individuals, um, getting them back into the workforce and empowering them to achieve more. Yeah. Um, according to the quarterly reports, the NDIS continuing to improve through the participant service guarantee. So I'll leave that up to you to decide how that's going. Uh, Dear listener, um, but it's good that they're continuing to work on the participant service guarantee. Um, I think recently, and I would say for a few other support coordinators um, that I've seen around the traps, definitely we're seeing a blowout of those times. They are not keeping to the participant service guarantees. So just for everyone out there, make sure you know 
what those timelines are and you keep the NDIS to their word because they should be keeping to the participant service guarantee. Um, then they are looking to see what are the drivers behind the variance of participants' reports, plan budgets and the number of participants from the annual financial sustainability report, which I'm sure was an interesting report. Sam, did you get to read that one? Uh, no, it has uh, not been at the top of my list, sustainability report yet. Uh, my, um, I've been, I've been uh, engrossing myself into our, one of our next topics, which is the own motion inquiry. Um, but we'll leave that to them. The NDIS says that the quarterly report has been streamlined to improve the reader experience. The appendices have also been condensed and there's now um, more material to read on the website. I will agree. It's uh, a little bit easier than some past years to sort of get, get through on that. So... Look, that improvements are slow, but improvements are good. So. so, Sam, tell me a bit about the own motion inquiry, which is into support coordination and plan management. Yeah, so Tracy Mackey, the NDIS commissioner, she really launched a their own motion inquiries into support coordination and plan management. Own motion inquiries are... Uh, reviews undertaken by the commission themselves, looking at specific aspects. Uh, the commissioner will publish a scope of inquiry, uh, and that's kind of the grounds for what they're looking into. Uh, the big one that we saw was O-Motion inquiry into accommodation services very recently. Um, this uh, O-Motion inquiry very much uh, looked at how support coordination or support coordinators were working with participants, more looking into instances and complaints within the, the sector. Um, and it came out with some very interesting statistics of it. So 45% sorry, uh, percent of uh, participants have support coordination and plans. So that's somewhere around the 300,000 mark participants with support coordination to varying degrees. Um, but the complaints were some uh, of the more uh, interesting point. So there were 181 notifications where the support coordinator informed providers of incidents or allegations, which then prompted that provider to notify the commission of a reportable incident. So that means that if uh, where a support coordinator has noticed a, an issue, they've raised that with the provider for that participant and that then the provider has then lodged a, a um, complaint with lodged that with the commission. So hang on, are they saying that's a good thing or a bad thing? Because to me that Neither. seems like a good thing. Well, they're not saying support it... coordinators are going, yo, you should have reported this, report it. Because uh, from my perspective, support coordinators aren't there every day. Mm. The provider is. And so if it's the provider who sees it, witnesses it, that sort of thing, it is up to them to report it. Yeah. But I end up getting told about it way later and then I go, oh, they should have reported it because... Me being told about it later means I don't actually have the evidence. I didn't witness it. I didn't get first-hand knowledge of it, blah, blah, blah. So I can't – technically I can't I can't report it. Well, like yeah. it should be the provider. And so it, to me, is a good thing that support coordinators are at least getting on to that and saying, yo, 
Yeah, so they're, they're not saying it's a good or bad thing. They're just looking purely at the data okay. in this report. Great. Um, so this report, uh, this inquiry has been split into two parts. So part one is just purely looking at data and facts, compiling that. And then this part two of their own motion inquiry will look at what they're going to be doing further. Uh, but they have put a pause on uh, part two up until the Disability Royal Commission and the NDIS review is published. Because uh, that will also, depending on what the government then accepts in those recommendations or does from that, possibly could cha change the landscape more so than what is already in there. And lots of things are sort of could, could change between now and, and that point. So the commission is sort of just broken. Let's get the pure raw data. Mm -hmm. Let's just do a bit of a deep dive into that, see what's going on. And then once all these other reports and everything are, and inquiries and reviews are finalised, then they'll start looking at two, which will add to whatever those changes are going to be. Ah, that makes way more sense. Okay, yeah. so continue on what you want to tell us. Um, yeah, so there was a, um, 170 notifications where the support coordinator was recorded uh, taking action to assist the participant in responding to the incident and allegation. Um, so that's a pretty, when you look at that compared to the, with 181, uh, that's quite a high sort of number where support coordinators have been involved as, in assisting those participants with that issue. Um, and then there was 108 notifications of allegations against support coordinators. Uh, and that was within fraud, neglect, and professional boundaries coercion and abuse. So 108 notifications were, were directed purely against support coordinators in that. Um, this data has been conducted, uh, been looked at since the 1st of January, 2022. Um, so it's uh, probably a year and a half's worth of data for that one. Um, there's quite a fair bit uh, around uh, how the, the types of uh, concerns being raised by participants. So uh, inadequate supports being provided, poor communications, uh, errors in relation to NDIS requirements, so where support coordinators don't quite understand the requirements themselves, inadequate or inappropriate responses to concerns being raised, and more um, quite specifically depletion in NDIS participants' funding as well, which is a pretty big uh, issue that a lot of participants experience over a lot of time. Then the other side of the coin that they were looking at was for plan management. Uh, so 60% of uh, active participants in the NDIS use plan management. There is 1,219 plan managers were active in the June 23 quarter. Uh, 10 of them, 10 of the largest plan managers hold 40% of plan management supports uh, and 20% of complaints made to the NDIS commission about the 10 largest plan managers raised issues of participants being left without adequate supports, depletion of funds and underutilizations of funds. Uh, there's quite a lot of other data um, and information around both support coordinators and plan management that the commission has gone into. Um, but we'll shove that link on the... Episode description. That's the one. Um, and feel free to download that, check it out, because it's going to be interesting and goes in with the rest of the reviews coming out. Um, the next item on our list to have a chat about is the updated um, self-management guide. So the NDIS have this um, really good guide to self-management that has always been really useful. And 
Um, if you go to any of the expos near you, usually there is a booth for either the NDIA or the LACs there and you can grab a, a hard copy if that would be easier for you from that booth, which I have done just in case any of my participants need it. What the new guide sort of features and at one of the things they've really improved is the wording because that was one of the difficulties a lot of people had with the old guide. So they've updated things about what is self-management, the different supports available to help people learn about how to self-manage, how to arrange and pay for supports, including an update on can I buy it. As an aside, the can I buy it section is awesome and really, really useful for actually anyone on the NDIS trying to figure out if what they want to buy comes under the guidelines of the NDIS, um, how to make a payment request and avoid common mistakes, what to expect from payment reviews, information on using the My NDIS app and new participant profiles. There are clear guidelines about plan management options and what they mean, changing plan management options, what it means to self-manage and how to make those decisions, um, including the financial risks about self-management and how to reduce and address those risks. I think it's really worth taking a look at that if you work in the sector and if you're a participant who's curious. It's a really good guide. Indeed. Uh, next up is the SDA demand projection report. So this report is one of the fundamental elements used to inform the budget. It has shown that there is will be a demand increase from 22,900 participants in June 22 to 36,700 participants in June 42. So that's an average growth rate of 2.4% per annum. So a lot more SDAs are required to be coming on the market. It's not necessarily a guarantee, it's a guide, but it's definitely a interesting read for anyone within the provider SDA space or interested in get it becoming an SDA provider. That's a long scope of time, 20 years. It is. <laughs> I'm uh, like how... I'm curious sometimes how they how they decide on like well, it, it seems an arbitrary. Yeah. So when you think about accommodation just, within the NDI space, so there's SIL, ILO, yeah. and SDA accommodation. Uh, so that will sort of take into account w what the raising or the percentage increases on those numbers. So this is only looking at specialist disability accommodation, not the full scope of accommodation requirements. Uh, so I would dare say that the agency is probably looking at more on the SIL or ILO front or, or those numbers increasing. They haven't necessarily put those in the scope of things, but it will probably be it part of, will be part of the consideration that the actuary has taken into consideration when they're coming up with this, this number. Yeah. Our next one, Hannah, is operational guidelines for young people in residential aged care. Yes. So there has been an update to those operational guidelines for younger people in residential aged care. Just a brief highlight, as we say, the link to this will be in the episode 
show notes. So check there for more, but essentially they're going to update the cross-billing arrangements and clarify what aged care fees and charges that the NDIS specifically fund, which I can tell you from experience is sometimes really difficult to explain to the aged care facility themselves because they really don't get it. So clarification (laughs) around that will be really handy because I have had to explain that so many times. Well, the funding model is very different (laughs) between between my aged care and the way that our residential aged care funding works versus how NDIS funding works are a whole lot opposite. And I'll be uh, very excited when the day comes around that the aged care just mimics the NDIS model. Yes. Fingers crossed, touch wood, there's uh, for anyone at home that's been listening or keen for the, the changes within the my age or aged care sector. They are there are changes coming, hopefully, but not soon enough for those people in those sort of environments now and what that actually looks like is also not yeah. very clear at the moment. Yeah, and and the biggest thing about this part of the NDIS is that they hope to have all younger people, which is anyone under 65, living in a residential aged care to be taken out of that setting because young people do not belong no. in aged care facilities. So, well, even the, people 66 don't belong in those, yeah, don't necessarily well, belong in those environments. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> these, these operational guidelines are clarifying a few of those things and, and saying, look, we are going to work with they are going to work with us to try and help get people out faster. So the NDIS reform co-design update has also uh, has been done with a, an announcement of, from the government for an investment of $724.4 million over the next four years to uplift the, the capacity and capabilities of, and the systems within the NDIA uh, to better support participants. There's a couple of key areas that they would be looking for, which is addressing workforce capacity to improve consistent of access planning decisions um, and the, including the number of specialised planners to be increased, processes to support participants around better planning to manage their funding. Uh, this one's a key per- personal thing of mine I'm very excited about. There's lots of happening in the background to help support participants to update their funding or manage their funding more appropriately. Implementing a lifetime planning approach. Uh, So plans are more transparent and uh, enabled flexibility for various life events. Improving consistency and supported supported independent living decisions. And helping participants understand and access evidence-based supports. And lastly, it's to support staff to detect, respond to and reduce provider fraud and non-compliance, which we all know is a really big issue. Yeah. So the idea of the co-design is that the NDIA work more closely with people with disabilities who are using the system. And that's what co-design is about. Um, so that's what they're doing there. And there's been some changes to in-kind supports in South Australia. Yes. There have. So currently the South Australian Department of Human Services, DHS, currently provides support coordination, specialist support coordination, supported independent living and positive behaviour supports um, through a funding arrangement called InKind. That will cease from the 1st of October 2023, which is in about a month's time. These supports will will now be funded through your NDIS plan. 
So essentially what this means is that you can continue to purchase all of your supports from South Australia's DHS if you are already a participant of theirs. But it does also mean that now if you are living, say, in their supported independent living, you could now get your support coordination somewhere else. It's um, about giving choice and control and moving everyone further into NDIS land because there are still a few things that haven't quite done the full transition over to NDIS land. So that's what that is doing. Next. Quite a um, a dicey one. So there's been a, a data, was a data breach in April of this year uh, relating to a law firm that is, uh, is used to support participants at the AAT. Uh, and it's uh, from HWL Ebsworth. Now, it's it's important to note that the NDIA, it's NDIS, have not actually had a data breach. It's this external law firm. In June, we had confirmation that Russian cyber criminals had claimed to have posted more than a one terabyte of data uh, relating to legal files from participants. Uh, so if anyone feel, uh, may think that they're in, in, impacted by this, it's, you should have been contacted by the agency at this point. If you're concerned that you may uh, may be impacted by this, it's important to call the NDIA on their direct number. So the agency is working very closely with the, the firm, um, as well as other government agencies and the Australia, Office of the Australian Information Commissioner. So, yeah, which is not really a good thing when you think of some of the, the more big data breaches that we've had in recent times, especially when it contains... It's re- relevant to legal legal data, which is... It's a bit, really sensitive information yeah, it's when a, it's about your disability and fighting with the NDIA at AAT. That's some really scary stuff. Yeah. So, yeah, if, if you do think you're, you might be impacted there, um, it's important to reach out to the agency and they'll also be able to help provide more support there. Um, and our last, our last topic for today is, is the upcoming changes from PACE. Yes. What is, what, what, what is PACE in, in a bit of a highlight? Currently, the IT software that the lovely people at the NDIA use and in the National Call Centre and your LAC, what they use is something called Proda. Now, this is being, they have just said that it is difficult for their staff to use and it's difficult for participants and it's a bit of been a bit of a pain in the ass for most providers and lots of things like this. So they have decided to buy a new IT system from Salesforce and it is called Pace. Now the idea of Pace is that it now has everything in one place and the the other idea is that it's simpler to use and it's easier for participants to use um, for example those who might be self-managed and also when you just want to have a quick check on how your um, plan is going it'll be easier to to understand apparently. So what has been happening is there's been a trial in Tasmania, Sam. It started in November last year and it has been going and the NDIS have decided that it will roll out PACE 
nationally starting on the 30th of October. Um, subject so too far to away. final approvals. Well, <laughs> just just to ca- caveat there, they, they've had several pushbacks on the date. It was already meant to have gone live start of last month or end of last month, sorry, and they've, they've pushed that back. And so it's not exactly clear whether or not it's a, a dead set that we're going ahead. There will be more coming out from the agency, I'm sure, in the next fortnight or so. Yes. Yeah, so, so whenever it is decided that the actual date is, we'll just, we'll go with the 30th of October for our purposes, because that's what they're saying. What they're going to do is they're going to use the next 18 months to fully roll it out. So what that means is if your plan starts, you get a new plan after October the 30th, you will, your plan will now show up in pace, which I imagine for the next 18 months will be a tiny nightmare for everyone working for the NDIA to have to be across two different systems. And providers. And <laughs> providers. So... Well, registered providers, unregistered providers, it'll just be a new system that you need to deal with. Yes, yes. So this primarily does affect people who are NDIA managed and registered providers. So a few of the highlights of things that they are doing with PACE, they are getting rid of service bookings. Now, Sam, there I know that there have been a few providers that have been a little stressed about the idea of service bookings going away because they're worried that then what they have planned to do with a participant, a participant could then go to someone else and say, oh, and you do a little bit more and you do a little bit more and maybe there's not the money for all of those things. However, realistically, I think this actually gives the participant better choice and control Mm. because previously what happened when we wanted to change providers, there was a big rigmarole about you need to cancel the service booking before we can go to this place because then they can't access the money because the service booking is still with this other place and this other place won't let the service booking go. It was very annoying. Yeah. So actually, I think this will be on the whole a good thing. There are, I I don't disagree. I think that the provider portal historically is an absolute nightmare to navigate user-friendly is not a concept when it was initiated. There are some real compliance and regulatory concerns or legal concerns I have with some of the changes and I don't think some of the impacts or how it needs to be accounted for will play out. So it's going to change um, quite a bit in terms of intake and uh, service agreement terms and conditions will need to be changed for this. Cancellation policies and transitioning to and from providers, that's going to need to have a real scope out. Uh, There's going to be a lot of policy document changes within providers to help support this and how that exactly will work as well is not quite clear, especially when you're looking at such a short time frame for it to start to be utilised on a national scale. So we do, we are lucky enough though, we're going to be having a episode coming up soon with some uh, plan managers to sort of discuss what these changes are going to be in more depth. So we will let you know when we're going to launch that, that, that podcast. So stick around. 
Yes. So just a few other quick points. So this is talking about it in this episode is really just to give you a few quick highlights because we will be going into it in more depth in another episode. So a few things that will be happening is that now unregistered support coordinators will be able to get access to PACE. And this is primarily for there will now be consistent requests for service. And the other thing that is changing for support coordinators is that there are new reporting templates. Now, they tell us that this is so that they're capturing the same information from everyone, which realistically makes far more sense than what we've had. But I am really excited to see what those templates look like and... So for unregistered support coordinators, it is really helpful if you sign up for PROTA now and that way you will just be automatically moved across to PACE. So do that. Well, yeah, so stick around for the next upcoming uh, PACE episode. Uh, That will give you some more information and we'll have some lovely plan managers on there to help deep dive a little bit more into those changes and what it's going to look like and how we'll be working with it. But thank you. Yes. Thank you. I'm so excited. Indeed. Huzzah! Thank you for listening. Please share with people you know. You can email us at whatinthendispod at gmail.com. To contact me, it's hannah at tulipcoordination.com.au. And to contact Sam, it's sam at rosenbaum.consulting. Until next time, as the Green Brothers say, don't forget to be awesome.